This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Pensa Research Incorporated. Pensa Research Incorporated. Join our research study where we'll ask you to picture in your mind your wildest sexual fantasy, paying particular attention to the details. You know, for science. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotten corpses that they are. This week, 1989's Puppet Master. And 2016's The Boy. It could be about anything, but probably a boy. Probably. All right, but before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Slash cards. Let's do it. Name this 1976 film. A bucket of blood, a fire hose, and tampons. Carrie. That is correct. Name two horror movies. Starring Jack Nicholson. The Shining. Uh Uh-huh. There's one in particular that I think the audience is going to know, but you're not. But something else should come to mind. Well, does it count that he was in the original Little Shop of Horrors? It absolutely does. Because that was a 1960 horror movie, kind of. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Never seen it. He was also in The Witches of Eastwick. I don't consider that a horror movie. It's comedy horror. I was terrified of his character when I watched that as a kid. It what? Was from, it was from 1987, so I probably saw it in 1989. I was like six, maybe seven. <laughs> if I saw it in 1990, like, I was young, and he scared the shit out of me. The movie never scared It also me. scared me when they punished him. <laughs> and they, like, blow him up or something like that. They inflate him. They make him throw up cherry pits because he made the chick throw up cherry pits uh also this is the one that the audience probably is gonna know is wolf never seen it that's why i didn't think you would think of it i saw it when it probably shortly after it came out on vhs so it was probably like 96 or so when i saw it all right kelsey our first movie is puppet master Mm -hmm. what is the premise of puppet master The premise of Puppet Master is puppets that have been brought to life by ancient Egyptian magic are being used for evil. This is the premise on IMDb. Psychics find themselves plotted against by a former colleague who committed suicide after discovering animated murderous puppets. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. All right, so it's available on Full Moon. If you have a subscription to that, it's... What is Full Moon? Full Moon is a production company, and they make these movies. They also make, like, you know, Evil Bong and Ginger Dead Man Oh, you can just go to their website and just watch it for free? No, they're available for by subscription uh, through Amazon. Mm. Uh, but it's like eight bucks a month or something like that, and that's too much just to get Full Moon movies. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd say so. Considering there's like Netflix and Hulu subscriptions and all the content you get there. I bet they have more stuff, but so far, all the horror movies we've watched, it hasn't said available via Full Moon subscription. Uh, you can also rent it for as low as three bucks and buy it starting at seven bucks. So, should people watch it? The ultimate question. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. That's not the question. <laughs> yes. Okay. It so is they spend lots the, of fun. The three bucks and rent it if they haven't seen it before. Yes. Okay. All right. Great. So that is your official Pod Cemetery recommendation before going into this rest of this episode where we discuss it in detail. So now's your chance to watch it before we spoil it. So go ahead and watch it now, and when we get back, we will talk about 1989's Puppet Master. In a house of mysteries, a research team with special powers has uncovered an ancient secret, but they are playing with an evil force. They have given life to a deadly power, and now a box of little toys has become a gang of little terrors. Pinhead. Blade. Ms. Leach. Jester. And Tunneler. Irene Miracle. Paul Lamatt. Barbara Crampton. And William Hickey as... The Puppet Master. Kelsey, what's your opinion on this issue? Is Puppet Master one word or two words? Well... The movie title is one word, and therefore we shall call it one word. The movie title on IMDb is one word. No, even when we saw it on in the on thing. the cover, it's two words. Well, in the shot, in the credit <laughs> sequence, it's one word. Yes, but pretty much everywhere else has it as two words. So if you're looking for it online, you might want to search two words. Puppet and it surprised Master. me to find out it is not the Puppet Master. It is simply Puppet Master. It is not. An interesting thing about the title. Uh, okay, so you should know if you've seen it already or you just didn't care to watch it. The Puppet Master kills himself in the first scene of the movie. Yes. So why is it called Puppet Master when it's about a bunch of psychics? Because the guy becomes their master. The and the guy. puppets only get a combined total of like five minutes of screen time. Really? Yeah. They, they were have, so cool. They don't I fucking have, <laughs> love them. They were amazing. <laughs> they don't have a lot of screen time. Here's the explanation from the producer, Charles Band. They're my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> Which I haven't said, by the way, so I should probably get this out of the way. Directed by David Schmoller, written by uh, David Schmoller as Joseph G. Collodi, he wrote it as. Also, <laughs> uncredited story from J.S. Cardone. Also, story by Charles Band and Kenneth J. Hall. Starring Paul Lamatt, William Hickey, and Irene Miracle. Charles Band is the producer, and he took over basically the series after this point. His explanation is that uh, a long time ago, he worked on a film called The Dungeon Master. He would got a lot of comments from fans just saying that they loved the title. He's always been fascinated by dolls and figurines coming to life, just that concept. And so he put those two things together, the title, The Dungeon Master, and dolls coming to life. And he came up with a concept called Puppet Master. 
That's before he knew anything about the story or anything like that. <laughs> he just thought it was cool. Awesome. So that's why it's called Puppet Master and continues to be called Puppet well, Master. Well, that makes sense considering <laughs> that the story is so, so silly. It's and very weird. silly. weird. It's very strange. It is, yes. <laughs> but I loved it. So the movie begins in a place called Bodega Bay, which... Is where the birds takes place. That's exactly right. Day bidet. Day bidet. Bodega Bay. It takes place during World War One. I. I don't know why I said one. It's World War Two. Obviously, it's World War Two. I even talk about it in the context of World War Two. Sorry for the brain fart. But before the Americans were involved in 1939. Which is hilarious because even though I haven't seen any of the other movies, I know that that ties in with the backstory like crazy. Like we said in the last episode, there there is one entirely where it takes place in this time and they fight against Nazis. Why they chose to start it in the 30s, I don't know. Like, I do not understand. Back when it's feasible that somebody could have an act with puppets, oh, I like, guess. Yeah, because he's like, there was a... A poster behind him yeah. that like showed that he was a famous yeah, marionette he's a, he's person. Famous, so I guess that makes sense. He's a famous puppeteer named Andre Toulon. Hey, they did it in being, being John, John Malkovich. Malkovich. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> so he is creating this puppet who's named Jester, and he has three parts of his face that spin around, and whenever they realign, he has a different facial expression i fucking love jester even though it's literally impossible for it to work that way it's impossible for it to work that way in the real world but saying, in the world yeah. where he can create living puppets i believe that could happen right but like the living puppets don't change at all they move yes but like they don't like change their makeup you are taking they, it way too seriously <laughs> yeah you're right but I, that's what i'm saying i love jester there's another puppet uh who's like an asian style puppet they refer to as oriental i guess because it's in the 30s i've seen multiple places that refer to it as the oriental puppet uh, named shredder khan who is looking out the window for another puppet Named Blade, who is outside. Who's my favorite. Blade has a hook for a hand and a blade for the other. And he has little knives that come out of his eyes. And I feel so bad for him in the beginning. They make these puppets super sympathetic. Right? Like super sympathetic. Like you love these puppets. I made a note about that. Oh yeah, here it is. Although they look creepy, like all of them look creepy. The first 10 minutes of the movie really make you care about the puppets. They care about the maker and we care about him. They oppose German assassins. For whatever reason, they don't explain it. Yes, not in this movie. At Again, least. yes, they, they'll bring that up later. In but the I mean, the Germans were interested in the occult, you know, and other cultures, ancient cultures. I occult. suppose it just. I'm it, assuming that's where they go in the series. We're gonna have to watch more Puppet Master movies. <laughs> I hear it gets horrible. I'm sure it does. These movies all. One of do. them is considered by somebody the worst movie I've ever ever made. Probably. Don't you want to see it? No. <laughs> And Blade, when you don't know it's him, you're just seeing his point of view and everything like that, is in a real hurry and he makes these like worried puppy noises and stuff yes. like that. 
They make you really like and it's him. It's so cute. He's they're all really worried about the owner and they're all trying to warn him when these German assassins show up at this Bodega Bay Inn. Day Bidet. <laughs> Day Bidet. Bodega Bay. <laughs> So he packages them up and he tells them not to worry. Yes, I know. I'm going to keep you guys safe. And he packages them up and stores them away. And then he just fucking shoots himself in the head right as the assassins are coming. So he commits suicide. We find out to keep his secrets safe, Mm -hmm. right? And not hand it over to the Germans. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he won't be tortured or anything like that. Time jump to just a dude. Well, but first... Yes. Let's just say here, he doesn't exactly hide them well. He puts them behind a wall, and for some reason, the Germans, the Germans, the Germans, don't open up the wall. Like, you would think they would do something as simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> so, cut to 50 years later. It's 1989, and we see a series of people have these flashes, these psychic flashes. There is this dude with the most amazing hair sitting in his office at Yale, and he dreams that, like, blood is coming off of him, and there are leeches. Yes. And He can dream about the future. Yes, that's his psychic power, which we find out. There's Dana, who is, like, a, a boardwalk psychic, and who can really see things that are going to happen or are happening. Do they I think it's I think it's the present. I think she can more see the present than she can. Yeah, see I don't the know. I don't remember what they actually say her power is. Um and then Frank Forrester and Carissa Stamford, who are partners in this sex dream study thing. It's that they I do. don't think that their entire subject matter is about sex dreams. I think it's just that they enjoy that and so they, they right. do that. I think it's supposed to be they're just supposed to be studying psychic abilities. So the dude can read people's minds. Yes. The chick can relive the history of objects. Yes, the history of objects. So like she can touch something and know what happened to it in the past. Yes. Which is a cool power, by the way. Which is a very cool power, but of course, because you could just tell that the creators of this film, uh, they were under the impression that they had to have sex in the film. Like, otherwise it won't sell. Right. Which is something that a lot of people think. A lot of people, especially newcomers to the genre, think that you have to have sex in a horror movie or it won't sell. So she, because she can feel things of the past, if she lays down on a bed that people had sex in, she she refeels that whole... Clark Gable had sex on one of the beds that they stay at. Yes. Yeah. uh Um, So anytime she touches anything where people had sex on it, she basically can't control herself and, like, orgasms a bunch, mm. basically. So, <laughs> But it is a really cool power, and it could help, like, a detective, for sure. So Alex, who's the uh, – what is he? – he's, like, the dean of archaeology or whatever. I don't know. Uh, at, at Yale, he sees Neil, the, a fifth psychic – Pointing a gun in a woman's head, and he sees the leeches. Now, here's an interesting thing about Neil. Uh-huh. 
I I know he has this whole long fucking speech about what they all can do, and for some reason I must have missed what Neil could do. But it kind of sounded like Neil didn't really have any powers. He simply was interested in it and had money. They didn't seem surprised when he communicates them with them telepathically. Mm. I think he can read people's minds and he uses that to be a playboy. Okay. So he is also a psychic. Yeah, I think they're all psychics. Yeah, they were all part of the same group, right? Right, but he's the one that told them about the sorcery from right. Egypt so, that the puppet master once had in the 30s yes. for some reason. And <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not there yet. Dana sees what could potentially be her death. She's crawling on the floor and she's running from something. Um, but they all see Neil telling them that he found Andre Toulon's hiding place. And so they all need to meet up at the Bodega Bay Inn in Bodega Bay, California. I love saying Bodega Bay. <laughs> Day, bidet. So they all go there. They all meet there because they just know. And they all fucking hate Neil because he's a dickhead. Mm-hmm. But they're like, he found the secret. So they show up there and they are greeted by Megan, who reveals herself to be Neil's wife. Uh, she's the woman that, uh, what's his name, Alex, saw in his vision. And Teresa, who's like the housekeeper there. Now, this used to be a hotel back in the day, back in the 30s, obviously, because it was a hotel during that opening scene. But now it's like her house. Her parents bought it. And really quickly? Yes. I'm sorry. You were asking about Dana. You weren't sure what Dana could do? Yes. She's the white witch. Right, Remember, she's the one that like puts stuff oh, all around right. yes. and can see what's going she's to happen. She's just like a general she's just psychic. A witch. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they're all surprised to find out that he has a wife and they're wondering where he is. And Megan tells them, oh, he, you didn't know? He killed himself. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? He told us to come meet him. And they see him because he's still on display. Because she couldn't bury him until they came. That he was left like, a yeah. note, and that's the only thing the note said is wait until these people show up before you bury me, you know? And so it's like, well, we'll probably bury him tomorrow. Then can you guys stay? We have rooms. And they all agree. Dana confirms that he's dead by like sticking a giant needle inside in his chest and gets no reaction or anything like that. That's also just because I was super confused. I was still just like, but why are they at the hotel? Why is she at the hotel? Turns out the hotel belongs to his wife's family. Right. Which then becomes probably the reason why he married her in the first place. It's definitely the reason why he married her in the first place. Well, we'll talk about that. Okay. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. The ending makes it like, who was playing whom? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll get there. You're right. We'll talk about that when we get there. So they see further visions. We see that Dana brought her dead and stuffed dog with her and which makes sense yeah we because we all know what they're looking for is the ability to animate inanimate objects and so she has her stuffed dog and she wants to bring her dog back to life effectively, <laughs> which is really funny um but we also see Pinhead. We have such sights to show you. Not Pinhead from Hellraiser, 
But this new character, Pinhead, who's like a literal pinhead, he has this big body and these human-like hands and a tiny little head. Uh, who was which played is by... narrow-shaped. Who was played by a little person who had to, like, keep her head down. And then they had the mm-hmm. the doll's head on top. And you can totally tell. Right. You can see the outline of yes. her head in the it's so great. sweater. He crawls out of the casket. So we know that the dolls have been revealed. He found the hidden place and... The dolls are alive. So they have dinner and Dana's a bitch and pisses off the wife talking about how Neil was a slut and all that jazz. A little bit of sauce and Dana becomes quite the cynic, doesn't she? I'm not a cynic, Frank. I prefer to think of myself as a nasty bitch. Okay, here's the breakdown. You're right. Okay. Carissa's a psychometrist, as they say. She can touch an object and know its history. Dana can tell fortunes and locate things and people. Alex has premonitions in his dreams and sometimes when he's awake. And they never talk about what Frank or Neil's powers are in the movie. So I think they're just straight up psychics, which is the conclusion that you and I came to. And we know that it's an Egyptian power and that Andre knew it and they're trying to find his old records to see if they can uh, foster that ability. And they wanted to come back and just like fuck him over and take the power because they hated the guy. He's the guy that got them all together. And then what did he do that like pissed them all off? He left them. He disappeared on them. He ghosted on them. Mm. So that night, Teresa, the maid, the housekeeper, gets attacked by Pinhead with a poker. Even though the witch told her to stay away from the fireplace. Yep. She Uh warned her. And there's a scream, not when somebody finds Teresa's body in that room, but when they find Neil's body in the chair. Uh, And Megan gets sick and she goes up to bed. We get this whole thing where Carissa is reliving all these, including the bath. Yeah, and all the that. bath scene is next, and she... And Frank's like, just while you're doing that, just try to find out what's going on with Neil. Oh my God. What's wrong? Two women. Navy. Second World War. And details. They spent their entire leave in this tub. Listen, darling, as long as you're going to be fooling around in there, see if you can pick up on Neil Gallagher. And that young wife of his, of course. (laughs) Well, and then they end up having sex. Yes. Which Uh is when they die. Yes, by Tunneler and the Leech Woman. So Tunneler has like a tunnel drill. Okay. On top of his head. So you can convince me that all of these puppets were made by the puppet master who was actually a nice guy. But (laughs) why? Why would he make one that has a drill for a head? Why would he make one that has knives for eyes? He doesn't have knives for eyes. He does. The eyes, they, they pop out. They magically pop out. Yeah, not, of his eyes. I don't think they're really made. No, they're not his eyes. You're right. But yeah. I mean, they come out of his eye sockets. Right. Yeah, I'm saying, why would he do that? Well, no, like, he can magically do that because now Gallagher is his master and now he's evil. No. But why this one was made with a drill for a head is I weird. Think, I think he actively used them. That's why Blade was out and about. You know, like he used them 
for good or ill, we don't know, but Sounds, probably against the I Nazis. I think he was good. Yes, so do I. So Tunneler kills Carissa by drilling her in the face. And this whole time, the guy has been tied down with a thing over his eyes. Yes, yeah, so he doesn't know. Right, so he doesn't know what's happening. And this really bothered me. So she is freaked out because she knows someone is in the room. Yeah. She does not realize it's a puppet. But yes. she knows someone is in the room. And he full on says, well, baby, if somebody's in here, untie me. And she's just like. She's too concerned to actually untie him. She gets up and she gets attacked by Tunneler. Stupid. And meanwhile. Stupid. <laughs> he's getting like affection. He's like, ooh, yeah. From he doesn't female. realize it's Leech Woman and she bleh, barfs up leeches all over him and they suck him dry. So that's another thing. And that, How would a puppet do that? It, it, but it also, it's kind of like Blade with his eyes. Yeah. Is it magic? So it must be magic. I think Leech Woman confirms that it's magic. Yeah. Right. It has to be. And I know that they're being controlled by Gallagher right now. Oh, we don't know that in the storyline, but right. that's but the But we know at the end yeah. of the movie. Uh -huh. So he's like pushing leeches through her mouth through magic? <laughs> Seems like such a convoluted like way to Like she generates them inside of her and then she vomits them. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Couldn't you just have her stab him? Listen, like, it it's just... weird and it's awesome, Kelsey. <laughs> no, I love it. It's so weird. Yes. It is bizarre. Yes. I just wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex kind of sees this in his sleep. And so he wakes up. Dana finds Neil's body in her room and tries to, like, you know, do magic on him. To put him to rest. And she's attacked by Pinhead. The the muscle-bound, tiny-headed dude who um, ends up breaking her leg. And this is the scene where she's chased crawling through the hall. Mm-hmm. And she keeps warding him off, right? She and he just, like, wails on her. Right. Like, just keeps punching her in the face. But every time she gets him off of her, she's like, oh, thank God. I'm just going to sit here for a yeah. minute and, uh -huh. and really contemplate things. And then I'm going to try to crawl away, even though I could just smash the puppet. It's just a puppet, right? Yeah. Which they show because she throws him off of her at one yeah. point. So, but, so why not just smash him? But that's a red herring because she ends up getting actually killed by Blade, who cuts her throat. <laughs> Why not just smash the puppet? Alex, in his dream, has this dream again where Megan shows him a secret area in the attic. Uh, oh, this is where Neil did all of his experiments and I was never allowed in, but I didn't really mind. He needed his private time. And then they find this ballroom up there and then she... Dances with Neil wearing a mask. He reveals himself and then holds a gun to her head and he wakes up. And he says, you can't save her. Yes. So That's what Neil says to Alex. So Alex wakes up because Megan wakes him up. Mm -hmm. And they go to the same thing that happened in his dream. And so he's like calling it. He's like, uh, you didn't mind, blah, blah, blah. She's like, yeah, how'd you know that? And he's like, uh, psychic. Neil used to spend hours up here. I don't know what he was doing exactly, but he never, never let, let you come. come up. 
You thought it was strange, but you didn't really mind. How did you know? Well, I'm kind of a magician, remember? So they make it to this ballroom and they see like this large dining table and all the people who were killed, except for Teresa, are at that dining table. And Neil comes out. And he explains his plan. (laughs) Yep, as always. First, he talks about the fact that he did, in fact, commit suicide. Metaphysically speaking, I killed myself. And using the techniques of the old puppet master, I brought myself back to life. I want to live forever. But through using Toulon's journal or whatever and reading through it and finding out what the secret is, he knew he would be able to, after dying come back to life, and they don't explain how he would do that. I think Megan did it. I think he used Megan as part of this. I mean, the whole idea is that he was using Megan to get to Bodega Bay. Day Bidet. And get access to Tulum's secrets. That's what the story tells you, but it doesn't explain how he wakes up after he commits suicide. Mm-hmm. He, beca- he commits suicide and thereby becomes an inanimate object. Well, he explains that through the magic, he has become immortal. Yes, but you ha- the magic is animating inanimate objects. He has to kill himself, then the magic animates him. Well, we don't know. Maybe there's a spirit world. Maybe it's like Insidious. Right. You don't know. <laughs> I'm saying maybe there's additional power that we didn't see previously, but they don't explain it. Yeah. Which is why it makes me think that Megan was involved. We find out later that she actually is involved in some way. And that's how he came back to life, and now he's immortal. And he also explains at one point that the only way he can die is if his body is completely destroyed. Like, you can shoot him in the head and it wouldn't matter. Just like a puppet, Right. And he's using the puppets because the puppets will do anything their master tells them to do. And through Taloon's journals, he finds out how to take control of them, right? Mm-hmm. And Neil, like, hits Megan. And the puppets don't like this. And they start... Well, because he also starts saying how stupid they are. Right. And they give, like, all these sidelong looks and everything. And they start to rebel. This Mm -hmm. is another thing. If he's really their master, can they rebel? Or is Megan really their master? Mm, I like that. That's what I'm wondering. But why would she want to kill all the psychics? Maybe she doesn't know that's what Neil's going to do. I just think she's involved in this and in the process of animating him also took over as master of those guys or whatever. And so they're doing what he wants them to do because she's in on it at this point. I don't think she knows it's going to go that far. But any case, they start attacking Neil and they trap him. And he says not once but twice, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) What the hell do you think you're doing? He does. He says, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) What the hell do you think you're doing? (laughs) They trap him in an elevator and Pinhead like wrenches it closed so nobody can get in or out and they all just fucking attack At one point, this is when we start to get weird sounds. He takes it off the head of of, uh, Pinhead. Pinhead and it goes like. I'm the master. And you're the puppet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, silly. And so Pinhead's body, through stop motion, finds the head and puts it back on. And there's even a part where he jumps up to get out of the elevator from the top. Oh, it's so great. 
And who is it? It's Pinhead, I think. And Blade. And Blade? Or is it Leech Woman? I don't know. But they're all like reaching up and trying to grab him. And it's this stop motion combined with it's the real live so action. It's so funny looking. So good. They're like, eh, 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 yeah, eh. Like they're they're, they're like him. moving slowly. <laughs> yeah, but then, I mean, it's stop like motion. It's, it's so <laughs> fucking good. But Blade is up there. That's why Blade's up at the top. Oh. So it is, it must it be is Leech guy. Woman. And maybe, maybe Hunler, maybe it doesn't matter. It's just funny. But as he's trying to climb out, Blade's up there and he chops off his fingers, forcing him to fall down. He gets green blood. Yes, because he's not a human anymore. That also helped them with their rating. Oh, because he's not human anymore. Yeah, and I think he's been pumped full of, you know, whatever. Formaldehyde. Formaldehyde and all of that to preserve him. And yeah, so he 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 won't bleed anymore. And he got this green ectoplasm stuff coming out of him. Uh, and the sound is silly when the fingers get cut off. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it's very silly. Uh, and he falls down, and they all overtake him, and they're like, "Holy shit!" And and then they try to help him. Which why? Well, they're trying to like get it open. I think because I maybe the puppets have gone rogue, and it's it's Alex who's trying to do that. Yeah, but, like, I get that, but, like, you don't like this guy. Leave him. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Alex is a generally good guy, and he doesn't want to see anybody die, really. But with Neil dead, Alex just says bye, and he leaves Megan behind. And he's like, I got to go back to Yale. <laughs> oh, we didn't also talk about the fact that Teresa was brought back to life, and she's this, like, Igor-type assistant. <laughs> The the maid? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Don't trust the buddy. Then we see Megan picking up Dana's dog and walking up the stairs and then sets it down on the stairs. And it's a real dog and it's a Pomeranian and it runs up the stairs and then... Credits. Credits. So we know that Megan knows the power and is using the power. And that's what leads me to believe... That Megan knows more than what she was saying. Obviously, we know that. Even to the point where when she was taking Alex through the area and was like, oh, he wouldn't let me come up here or whatever. I think she used to go up there. Mm. Um, And so she was lying to Alex at that point. I feel like he wouldn't have included her, though, unless he actually liked her, which is why earlier. That's what I'm saying. I don't think she was included. Mm. Oh, so she just did on her own. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'm sure all this stuff is explained in sequels. Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but that is the movie. Kelsey. Yeah. Lightning round. Lots of things, because you went through that fast for I me. I did, yes. First of all, the puppet master, the original one, is the grandpa from, no, the uncle. He's his uncle. He's like the great uncle or whatever. From yes, Christmas from vacation. From Christmas vacation. Now, he says something. He says, he puts his hands on the jester and says, life upon my life. Life upon my life. What would you call that? A blessing? Would you call it the blessing? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I wrote that down here and it made me very happy. (laughs) The blessing. This movie was was released originally... Direct to video, because according to Charles Band, he would make more money that way. 
rather than spending all that cash trying to release it to theaters. So they just did direct to video. There are like three times in this movie where we should have easily seen the puppet in the shot. But they're not yes, there. Yes, <laughs> because we see them in first person or otherwise, and then we get like an aerial shot and they're just not fucking there. Yep. Yes. Uh-huh. That happens like three times in the yes. movie. So there's a lot of animosity around this movie. Like I said, David Schmoller, he directed it and he wrote the screenplay, even though the story is credited to Charles Band, who's the CEO of Full Moon. He doesn't get any more credits and he doesn't participate. He gets character credits, but he doesn't get any more credits, Schmoller, for the rest of the series. And he explains that that's because Charles Band kind of pushed him out. And Charles Band wanted to take credit as being like the creator of it and being in control of it and responsible for it. He did this interview. Schmoller did this interview uh, with the Terror Trap um, way back when, almost 20 years ago, back in 1999. And he wasn't approached to do the director's commentary when it made it to DVD. And uh, according to him, he still owed residuals that he's never been paid. So Band kind of really fucked him over. When it comes to this movie, he would have otherwise totally been an element in the rest of the series. So that's kind of a bummer, I think. Yeah. Oh, well. In the first scene, when Blade is running around. Yes. No one sees him. Right, except the dog does. Yeah, exactly. And I just found that really hard to believe because he was like jumping around and running and like. I get it. It's like the same thing as, you know, the rescuers. You know, when they're running around the and nobody sees them, or tons of other movies. I get it, but it's just, he's, he's, you know, he's a couple inches at least. Yeah, he's, no, he's like a foot tall. A foot tall. Or, or taller. I maybe think I would two- see that. Yeah, uh-huh. A, a, a dude running around in a little black trench coat and black hat. <laughs> now, at one point, he does run into a lady and she screams and he screams back. It's really cute. So then what did that lady do? Was she just like, I just saw a puppet. And it was 1939. She probably fainted. <laughs> and, then, and then she oh, go like a fucking mental. Oh, my asylum. stars. Because <laughs> she was like, I saw a puppet. And they're like, you're crazy. I wrote, I immediately love Pinhead. <laughs> <laughs> I also wrote, is the hotel shut down or because it wasn't really clear to me. Like, I, I know it says it on the screen. It wasn't clear to me the time jump and that it changed from a hotel to just a private residence. It was like, really clear to it, me. It took a while. Like, by the end of it, it did. But when they're, like, showing them around and there's, like, a housekeeper and I'm like, that's, like, a maid at a hotel. I was like, what is – so what – yeah. So it is a private residence. And I also wrote, oh, the shoulder pads – <laughs> so 80s, all the women, especially Teresa, wear shoulder pads. <laughs> There's a wonderful aerial shot of a fair, and I love the fair. Because he does love the fair. And this is before we meet the fortune teller. And the fortune teller is sitting there with this couple, and she's obviously lying and saying, like, how great the rest of their lives oh, are. Oh, totally be. lying, yeah. But, like, for the rest of the movie, I was like, okay, but she can actually tell their future. What was their future? Like, that really bothered me for the yeah, rest uh-huh. of the fucking movie. I was like, I want to know. Well, she was getting that vision or whatever. After. Yeah. Uh-huh. The puppets keep looking at the camera, and I love it. 
like they're constantly looking at the camera. Now they might be looking at something else, but there's a few moments where it's like Jester totally mugs straight at the camera. He's like, oh, <laughs> did you guys see that? <laughs> yes. The, there's a few I feel times. like the puppets do sometimes break uh, the, the fourth, fourth wall. wall. It's yeah, pretty great. Uh-huh. I also wrote down the term, just the term, Chekhov's Pomeranian. Because introduced, you have to figure out why it's there, but I think it's pretty obvious. It's reminded later when she's having some champagne by herself in her room and like playing cards or whatever, solitaire with the dog and talks to the dog. Uh, and then it pays off when Megan reanimates the dog. It's totally Chekhov's gun, Chekhov's Pomeranian. <laughs> There's also a scene where the chick who can touch objects, like, finds out that Gallagher raped a woman in the in the elevator. Yeah. Which, why? Goes, why is that in the fucking movie? Right. I like, think it's to, I think it's to establish more how, number one, Neil's an awful person. Number two, he uses women. And number three, he specifically doesn't care about Megan because it happens in Bodega Bay Inn. Day bidet. When he's supposed to be in a relationship with Megan. Okay. <laughs> That's why it's there. But I don't, like, did it have to be rape? Like, what? Like, totally unnecessary. And it's, like, such a crutch for these movies. Yeah. Like, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm having to write content warning, rape or sexual assault in, like, every single episode of our show now. Because mm -hmm. it's just in fucking every one of them. And seriously, it has to stop. Mm -hmm. Ugh. But I did write, they must go up like 20 floors. Because <laughs> we're inside the elevator and we can see it's like a caged off elevator. And so you can see the walls and everything else around it. And they just go up and up and up. And she has the experience. And the guy, the lady's like, what's happening? And the dude's like, stay away. And then he talks about, she talks about how I saw a rape. And like, all this is happening. Meanwhile, they're going up and up and up in this elevator. <laughs> and they must go up at least 24. It's like in Star Trek. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. How long is this conversation? And how slow is this elevator? <laughs> The scene where they're all at dinner and Dana is like a bitch to uh, Megan. Megan. Why wouldn't Megan just kick them out? And that is where your whole your whole idea of she's in on it. Yeah, kind of makes to it make sense. Why the fuck else wouldn't she get rid of them? Which is the same thing that Neil is brought. Neil has brought them there to get rid of them because they know his secret and they can give him up. So he needs to take them out. So we kind of went through the scene with the leech lady a little quickly. Okay. I know Chris mentioned that at first the guy thinks that he's still having sex with his, his girlfriend. She, so he is, right? And again, he's tied up. He's got his eyes covered, whatever. She's like pecking at him and he likes it. And then, of course, she fucking... Ugh, vomits up uh, a um, leech and the sounds that they made were yeah, disgusting. Uh. And then, of course, one bites him and he's like, hey, you're hurting me, right? Because he still thinks it's his girlfriend. And somehow he gets it up, like the thing on his eyes, up over one. And remember, everyone, this whole time he thought he was like making love yeah. to his girlfriend. Can you imagine how terrifying that must be? I can't even imagine getting a thing up on one of my eyes and seeing a puppet. Then again, he knew about the puppets. 
they knew that Andre Toulon had puppets and oh. animated puppets. That's what he did with his power. It'd still be terrifying. Yeah. There's a fun shot of Blade looking at his sword or his knife. Like, uh-huh. he's kind of admiring it. It's a fun little shot. Oh! Oh! Part of the dream sequence that the guy who has premonitions in his dreams has. Alex, yeah. The end of one of them, he, like, throws up his blanket, and underneath are the heads of all of his friends. Yes. That yes. was, like, the one the one moment where I kind of jumped. I was like, oh! Because <laughs> I was not expecting it. was really it. freaky. Yeah. yeah. That was part of his dream. Mm-hmm. I would say that my biggest complaint about this movie, aside from just being ridiculous, which kind of makes it great at the same time, it's really poorly paced. I wrote that here. So let's talk about our thoughts about the movie and its quality, right? Okay. I I wrote, this movie is so bizarre and dreamlike, Mm -hmm. right? Especially with all the actual dream content. But even outside of that, it's very dreamlike. Yes. If it was paced better... I might fucking love it. As it stands, I I love it, right? Pretty awesome. But I might fucking love it. It's just so slow, and the music doesn't help because the music is very repetitive and minimalistic and kind of jaunty, but, like, just really fucking repetitive. Somebody else should have done the music. They should have done something else with it. But it's very indie, silly horror mm-hmm. music, you know? Yes. So, but all in all, loved it. It was great. But, yeah, the pacing is it's so, so strange. Sometimes it's moving at a fast pace. Sometimes it slows down out like, of nowhere. Like, to a crawl. And yeah. it's like, why am I watching this? Yeah. Why do we have this same thing happen over and over again? It's like there's a rule of threes, and then we're doing it, like, four or five times. You know, like, that kind of stuff. And it's jarring. A lot of that could have been solved in the edit, I think. Yeah, the editing is just really bad. It could have a better edit, I feel. Yeah. Parts of it, I was like, wait, slow the fuck down. Who are these people? Yeah. uh Why are they connected? This conversation is a benefit of of hindsight. Yeah, you told me that in like a minute. Uh And then there's other parts where I'm like, why are we still watching this scene? (laughs) So it was very strangely edited. So what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 68. 43. Oh. But there are only seven reviews. Oh, okay. So it's three out of seven are positive, four are negative. I can see that. But underrated? Yeah. What would you give it? Probably give it a 78. 75 is what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is a firmly in the 70s movie. Yes. It's so bad, it couldn't possibly be in the 80s. It's batshit. It is. Yeah. And the and the and the puppets are so wonderful. I love them. Question for you. Yeah. You have to pick. Who's your favorite? Blade. Okay. Blade's pretty iconic. Later on, there's a character that a lot of people know called Six Shooter. It's a cowboy with six arms. He made me want to cry in the whole first I know. scene. I know. That whole first scene, I was like, okay, I love you. I I, I think he's really cool, but I think I love pinhead he got like the most action out of anybody in the in the show i feel (laughs) except for that first scene where we have the pov of blade and he's just so simple and when you need to use him for violence 
he can destroy you. Even though you can throw him across the room and he just keeps coming back. And he just mashed in Dana's face. Yeah, she threw him all the way down like tons of stairs. And he just kept coming back. I don't necessarily believe that he could get back that quickly. He's a puppet. That's the point. He got little legs. Oh, you mean he could travel that quickly. Right. Yeah, uh (laughs) uh-huh. No Metacritic, no consensus on Rotten Tomatoes, no cinema score. All right. So that is Puppet Master 1989, which even if you sat through all of this and didn't watch it, we recommend you to do. It's nuts. It is bizarre and so much fun. So thank you very much, Brian, for this recommendation. Yeah, I would have never known. We've mentioned your name now in like four episodes. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you very much. This is a great choice. Moving on, before we get to our next movie, Slash Cards. Name three female villains in horror movies. Mrs. Voorhees, Jackie from Roseanne in Scream 2. Not to give anything away, but High Tension. Fuck that movie. The main character in High Tension. <laughs> That's so funny. That you're movie the one, cheats so much, You're though. the one who made me watch it. Over, because I thought it was, it was, like, the first time I saw it, like, it was, I thought it was really well done, and the twist kind of did blow my mind, but the more, like, you think about it, the more you're like, no, fuck that. That's bullshit mm-hmm. and dumb. Oh, I, I hated it the first time yeah. you made me watch it. I hated it. So three, that's all I needed? Yes. So there you go. Okay. Kelsey. Yeah. Business cards. She already knows what it is. (laughs) A raincoat. And a Huey Lewis CD. 2000. American Psycho. They should have said videotapes. (laughs) Huey Lewis in the news. (laughs) That's a good one. Are we going to, is that on the list somewhere? It is not, because I've never really thought of it as a horror. Really? Just because we see it from the monster's perspective? It's absolutely a horror movie. It seems more, and I know this is going to sound weird, let me explain. Uh-huh. It's a, it's a comedy. It's more of a dramedy for me. Right, but the, I understand what you're saying, but the content is horrific. Yes, absolutely. I think I think horror movies can be dramas, they can be comedies, they can be dramedies, but it doesn't stop them from being horror. I guess. I just think of it more, and I know this sounds strange, because all anyone ever thinks about when they think about American Psycho is him killing a bunch of girls, right? Yeah. That's what people think of. I think of it more from the perspective of... It's well, a societal commentary. It's a societal and, commentary. Yeah, uh-huh. That's but what I see. It can have it a as. message and still be a horror movie. I'm saying these arguments aren't against it being a horror movie. I think we can include it. Okay. And I know you love it, so I do love it. Um, I'd be really excited to see it. I'll never read the book, though. Really? Because the book is far more disgusting. Yeah, Brett Easton Ellis. It's gross. It's kind of like the equivalent, if you're thinking like Clockwork Orange, it's the same way. Yeah. The book is much more graphic. Which is hard to believe because that movie is so awful. Yeah. Not awful as in like bad, like awful as in like the content is, Mm -hmm. the things that happen are bad. (laughs) (laughs) Now that, not a horror movie. Oh, good. I would say that's I've seen that movie enough times. I don't, I don't need to see it for a long time. Again, I, used to, I loved it in college. Again, more rape. It's very much a college movie. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, it's very much college or even high school movie. I saw it in high school. I saw it in college. Uh, but yeah, it's very much like, oh, you want to be, you know, you're edgy when you're in high school and college and you want something that's edgy, but still like high art. It's like Warren from Life is Strange. Yes. He tells who recommends her to watch can- like Cannibal, Cannibal Holocaust. Holocaust. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is not a good movie. It's not even, it's not, okay. I love um, A Clockwork Orange because it is so strange and unique. And, and it's so well shot so well and done. acted. Like, I, it's really, a great really movie. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cannibal Holocaust is just a piece of shit. And anybody who says they like it. It's an early found footage movie, too. Either, either you like it because of those reasons. It's, oh, it was the original found footage. And it or, convinced people that they really killed humans on tape. Yeah, okay. So if you like it for all the historical shit that it's known for, fucking fine, whatever. But, but as, a, as a movie, as it's not As a great. movie, yeah. it's not even, like... Okay, it's not entertaining. Yeah. I don't know how anyone could think it was entertaining. It's boring. It is just disgusting. tons of disgusting violence. That's all it is. And they literally do actually kill animals on screen. Which is, which is awful, awful to watch. Awful. And it's poorly made. It's just really, really poorly made. I just, I don't. If you like torture porn, I mean, I, I already think I, I, I think that if I when I meet people who like torture porn, I'm like, OK, I respect your opinion as a human being. But I think we're done talking about movies. Yeah, I think we're I just, don't think we're going to align. Like, maybe you're a nice person and maybe we can be friends on another level. But if you as soon as you tell me you like torture porn, I'm just like, oh, we are very different when it comes to film tastes. Yeah. Maybe it's just horror taste. Because what people look for in their gruesome horror is could be different, but they could find alignment somewhere else in comedies or dramas. And let's trace back how we got here. <laughs> Able to be friends with somebody based on their movie taste. Torture porn. Cannibal Holocaust. Life is Strange. <laughs> Clockwork Orange, American Psycho. We did it. There we go. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I may just take all of that out. Yep. I don't know. Uh, okay. So our next movie is Da Boy. Da Bears. Da Boy from 2016, directed by William Brent Bell, written by Stacey Meaner and starring... Lauren Cohen, Rupert Evans, and James Russell. Rupert? Rupert Evans. As in? in, That's Rupert Grint. Damn it. Or Rupert Everett. I was like, I told These are all different Ruperts. Yeah, is there anybody that we know in this movie? I don't know. We'll have to see it again. It's been a long time since we've seen it. But I feel like it's a bunch of unknowns. Yeah. So, what is the movie about? A girl is hired to babysit a kid in a rich home. She is then shocked to find out that she is actually going to babysit a doll. And then some freaky shit happens. Yeah. Now, the the movie is available to rent or buy for $3 and $10 respectively. But it's also free if you have a subscription to Netflix or Amazon Prime. It's so pretty readily available. Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? I would say you don't have to. Would you agree? I mean, 
like if it's on, I'd watch it. Right. But like, it's not like, oh, my God, don't see this. Should people pause their lives? No, our episode and go watch the movie before coming back. No, I think you're good. If the premise intrigues you, then yeah, go ahead. There is a twist. Um, Like, what's the explanation for this doll? Why are these parents obsessed with this doll? Why do they think it's their son? So there is that. If you're curious, we're going to tell you all about it. So just stick around. But yeah, you could see it. It's free on Netflix. Yeah. I mean, you uh-huh. know. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't awful. Yeah. It's not as far it's as not, I remember. It's not bad. We have to watch it. <laughs> yeah. It's right. We I haven't seen it again yet. I hate when you ask me yet. to recommend before I've watched we watch it. it. We, watch it in, we watched it in the theaters in 2016. Two years ago. Yeah. So it's hard to remember the quality stuff. We kind of immediately forgot about this movie, actually. So that should tell you something. So you can either watch it or don't. And when we come back, we'll talk about 2016's The Boy. The bears. Our son is not like other children. This is Brahms. Tell me about the real Brahms. He was downright strange. A little girl from town used to come out here to play with Brahms. They found our body in the woods. And the place was up in flames. <laughs> Brahms didn't make it out. PG-13. Kelsey, what happens in The Boy? We open on an American girl uh, who you might know from... A few things. She's in Supernatural. Yeah. And she's also Maggie in The Walking Dead. Yes. In Supernatural, she's in season three... Where she uh, steals things. Yeah. But apparently the audience did not like her, so they took her off the show. <laughs> She's really annoying. She was annoying. Every it's single true. episode would be like, oh, I stole this without looking. Oh, we stole it back when you weren't looking. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> the whole episode she was in. <laughs> so we open on her in a taxi, Right. And, like, it's really, it, it, the reason I'm bringing this up, because it seems like, why the hell do we care about this? I feel like this kind of sets the tone for the filmmakers seemed a little bit confused, or the editing is bad, or whatever it is. So, she is in a taxi, she's sleeping. She is being looked at by the cabbie, mm-hmm. right, in the mirror, which... So, why? Why? Yeah. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. But anyway. But it sets a tone of being watched. True. I think. But, but I'm getting there. Wait. So she wakes up, right? And she sees it and she like pulls her shirt and she's obviously uncomfortable. But then she goes right back to sleep. Okay. So then when they're at the house, which is apparently a castle in Canada. In Canada, yes. When they get to the house, the cabbie has... Gotten all of her luggage out of the car, has gotten in and out of the car, has obviously spoken to the people who were live inside the house. She slept through all of that, but for some reason, when he barely looks at her in the mirror, that woke her up. Yeah. Also, Cliches. then when she's out, she's like, thank you so much for bringing in all my stuff. Oh, no problem, ma'am. Like, all of a sudden, they're totally 
nice to each other? Yeah, they didn't really establish him as being, like, a lech or whatever. Like, they didn't focus in on her tits or whatever, even though she did. It was almost like, like, yes, he looked back at her. There is a person in my backseat. That's all we got from the camera until she wakes up. She doesn't catch him look like we don't cut back and see him looking at her in the mirror or none of that. We can see him look up after she looks at him. And then that's when she closes her shirt. Like there's no indication that he was actually leering at her. You know what I mean? It's almost like she's just fucking paranoid. I, I It tells us more about her, I think, than it does about him. But aside from that, I just feel like like the language of the movie something was with not, editing. Yeah. And so that just yes. kind of right off the bat, it's like, okay, so this is kind of a mess. Yeah. The 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 editing language of the film was not doing its job and this is the first scene. Mhm. Okay. So, then we we see her walking through the house, even though the driver told her they want you to stay in the parlor. Well, she heard something. She thought somebody was there. So, she's here to be a babysitter, so she probably thinks it's the kid. Yeah. So, she goes upstairs, and then again, we get a shot of, like, a buck's head. Yes. On the wall. And we see what the buck's eye would see if it were alive. Which, again... Why is this included? It almost makes it feel like it's one of those old 1930s movies where they they replace the eyes. Yes, there are a lot of those moments. There are a lot of those moments. Yes. Which are all pointless because it's not true at all. But, but it, it evokes a general sense of being watched in a mansion. Like, you know, that whole thing. Editing is bad. Yes. <laughs> included things it should not have included anyway right the problem is yeah is it looked at things with eyes right and I, I think it's supposed to make you think of being watched and from what we know by the end of the movie um she is being watched but the problem is is the things that it, that it looks in on are things that in an episode of scooby-doo yeah. or in some movie from the 30s like you say some weird silly mystery <laughs> Those are the things where the fake eyes would be removed and then a real person's eyes pop in and then look from left and right. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, it's one of those things. So that's all I'm thinking about now. Exactly. So then she's in the kids' room looking at the toys and the toys are all very um, old-fashioned. Yes. The, the aesthetic of this movie is gorgeous. I will yes. give it that. Um, this house is gorgeous. I mean, we just got back from England. This could totally be a in mansion. England. Yeah, England. totally. But nope, it's in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> so then she meets Malcolm, and they have a cute little exchange. He's like, oh, I'm just the grocery boy. Man, owner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you Mr. Hilscher? No. I know you're not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm the grocery boy. A gro well, grocery man. You know. I am the shop, actually. <laughs> Okay, I'm Malcolm, by the way. Hi. He must be here for the nanny job. Yeah, Greta Evans. And then he, he's like, hey, you know, you want to join me in the kitchen? I got to unload all this stuff and no one's here. So, so. Well, he, the parents are there. I don't know where they are. No, they're not home yet. But he talked to them, the cabbie did, and they told him to tell her to stay in the parlor. No, those are the instructions they already gave him. Oh, uh, okay. Anyway, and so then Malcolm proceeds to like, tell her fortune with her gum because he has a long history of the, what does he call it? A touch of the gift. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, his mother and his grandmother would read things like tea leaves and, and palms. palms. And he reads gum. Which and it's this joke. whole diversion. 
It's really weird, but we do get the thing where he completely, just like in Puppet Master, ladies and gentlemen, that's the real link between these two movies. We have a potentially fraud psychic telling a fortune that's totally wrong. (laughs) And then he, oh, here's the problem. He turns the gum over and he's like, oh, there we go. And he's a very charming guy. And then he says something that hits a nerve with her. The fact that she's running from something or actually someone. Mm-hmm. And that's like, yeah, we're done here. I'm going to throw this away. Yeah. He obviously touched a nerve. I would also like to point out that this also sets the tone for when he walks in, she like drops the toy and gasps. Uh-huh. You know, that's going to happen throughout the entire film. This film is is um, littered with jump scares that actually lead nowhere. They're all fake, Uh. almost all of them. So it's just like... No, I think... I think all of them... There's not a single jump scare, I don't think, that's there to... uh, in the world of the movie actually scare somebody. Right? Things move, and we turn, and we see things that we're not expecting to be there. I wouldn't call those jump scares. What I would call jump scares are somebody's looking, somebody's sneaking, and then, bah, somebody's behind you! Oh, it's just the dad. And he's just saying, hey, I wanted to talk to you about a few things. Or she's looking around a supposedly empty house, she's sneaking, and bah, there's somebody right there! Oh, no, it's just Malcolm. Like, it's always that. (laughs) Always. There's never a legitimate jump scare like that. (laughs) Anyway. So the Heelshires show up. And they talk to her a little bit. And it's obvious that uh, we, we see the mother, Mrs. Heelshire, first. It's obvious that she's really uptight. She's like, where are your shoes? It's like, well, she took them off because she didn't want to be walking around in a well-upholstered place with her shoes on just in case they didn't like that. I like. Anyway, she goes back to get her shoes and they're not there. Mm-hmm. And the mom says, oh. That's Brahms. That's Brahms. He likes to play tricks. They'll turn up eventually. But I trust you have other pairs of shoes. And then expects her to go through her luggage to pull out new shoes to walk around the house. That's how uptight this mother is. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we go upstairs and we meet the father, Mr. Hillshire. And he seems to be genial. And he's talking to Brahms, who's sitting in a chair. And then they both introduce her to Brahms. And Brahms is a porcelain doll of a little boy. Mm-hmm. He's not a real boy. I'm a real boy. <laughs> I was waiting for something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then she goes over all of the rules with her. And she keeps making it clear you can't be quiet. You need to be very, very loud. Yeah, and you need to speak clearly when you're educating him, when you're reading poetry or other books to him the music needs to be played very loudly his tastes or his taste for volume are rather a lot higher than the mother's tastes but you know whatever and obviously this is really fucking weird the thing is nobody except for greta the main character Nobody talks about how weird it is until a while in. Even Malcolm comes in and talks to the doll. Yes. And he doesn't talk about it and acknowledge that, yes, this is weird until they're alone. Exactly. The father acknowledges that it's weird when they're alone. When they're, yeah. When they're outside. Yeah. Away from the mother in particular. But he's like, you know, yeah, I really actually kind of like this scene. 
where the dad's talking to her and he's like, you know, honestly, I don't know how it got to this point. <laughs> um, but like, you know, like, oh, he acknowledges that this is unusual. I know how this must look to you, Miss Evans. And to be completely honest, I'm not sure how it all came to this. Little by little, then all at once, I suppose. Mm. But this is the way they are, and this is what we're paying you to do. So mm-hmm. can you do it? You know, like, that's how it is. And even Malcolm's like, yeah, I mean, I was going to talk to you about how weird it was, but then they showed up, and really, I wouldn't want to spoil the surprise anyway. <laughs> <laughs> also, they have a meal with Brahms sitting at the table with them. Yes, who they and they, they feed. Yeah, they have food out. Then um, she goes to throw away the food, and the mom goes, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't throw away any food here. And she puts it into little Tupperware and puts it into the icebox. And she goes, you know, this is a country house. We don't waste things here. Yeah. And rodents can get so to So they it. have an excuse for everything that they do. Right. And they have traps around the house, which the, which the father shows, and that's when he has his little talk to her. Yes. And, and you know, they catch rats, um, because if not, then they'll be scurrying through the walls, and we can't have and that. Brahms always hated animals. Yes, yeah. And he says, the last thing he says to her, our son is here. Do you understand? Yes. And she says, yes. And he's like, oh, good. I get it. Yeah, no, I know. So she interprets this as being, listen, this doll is our son. And can you just treat him that way? He's our son. And he's like, I don't know how else to explain it. And she's like, I get it. I understand. And she does not understand. No. What I'm trying to say is that whatever it might look like on the outside... Our son is here. He's very much with us. Do you understand, Miss Evans? Yes. Good. Oh, good. That's very good. We also see her go through this whole cycle with the mom about uh, how to dress him, how to wake him up. And the mom doesn't approve of her whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like, you're doing a horrible job of this. Like, she's very, very particular. The rules are very important, you know, and when when Greta goes to be like, okay, Brahms, wake up, the mom's like, well, that wouldn't wake me up. I don't know about you. Like, you know, like that's she's very particular about everything. But they pray with Brahms at night before putting him to bed after dinner, and Greta is outside kind of watching them, uh-huh. and then they notice that she's there, and they go, can you give us a moment alone with our son? And the dad gets up and closes the door and you hear them talking. The door opens and the mom's like, he's, he's chosen, chosen you. you. If you'll have him. Mm-hmm. He wants you, Miss Evans. He's chosen you if you'll have him. He wants you. I, and it's obvious that she's like, I don't get it, but he likes you. Yeah. And we know that they've had trouble finding. It's taken them a year. A year. And the whole thing is that they're going to go on this trip that the father is very urgently like, we need to go, we need to do this. Yeah, and and he, he's also kind of out of sorts, too, because when it's time to leave, he's having trouble talking, and he's like, you know, I've, it's just been so long since we've ever done anything, you know, I'm, I'm just out of sorts. And the mother gives her a last final little rundown and then gives her a hug and says, I'm so sorry. Yep. I'm so sorry. Come along, my dear. It's time we left. 
okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I thought it was kind of neat, right? I think it's more confusion. I think, again, I feel like the story was rewritten a bunch of times because there's this constant back and forth of, does the do the parents actually want to leave or don't they? Kelsey, 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 you are so right. You don't even know. This movie was rewritten several times. There you go. Originally, it was going to be a movie called In a Dark Place, which is a much better title than The Boy. True. Let me tell you, <laughs> looking this movie up is very difficult. Uh, but In a Dark Place was going to have Jane Levy in the lead role. Damn. Right? <laughs> Damn. I liked this girl. I thought she was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was fine. Then Mr. and Mrs. Heelshire leave. And we get Greta's conversation on her phone with her sister. On the house phone with her sister. And we know there's no internet. She gets no cell reception. This phone is her only connection to the outside world. We're establishing some... Stakes here, I guess. Not stakes. We're establishing some uh, ground rules, basically. This is also when we get the backstory and why she would take on such a bizarre job. Uh, and the the excuse that they use in this initially is you needed to get out, you needed to get away, and you really need the money. And this is when I wrote down, needs the money, like in House of the Devil, And then later on in the movie, Kelsey was like, what does this remind you of? And I was like, House of the Devil. She's like, oh, my God, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. The first half of this movie is basically the first half of House of the Devil. I would argue that it goes even further than that. I would argue that someone saw House of the Devil and thought. Which came out in 2009, mm -hmm. seven years before this one did. And thought, damn, that was a good movie. But no one saw it, so no one will know when I recreate it. Well, recreating the premise and all of that. But there are are so many little things. Like, it it couldn't possibly just be a coincidence. But I mean, like, the fourth and fifth acts is what I'm saying. Is like, that's where the story differs. Differs, but not by a lot when you really think about it. Mm -hmm. When you think about core things. Yeah. It's very much the same movie, and it really bothered me. So right away, Greta's like, fuck all this. Sorry, boy. You're creepy. Throws a blanket over him and just goes about her day. This is when she has the phone call with her sister and all of that. Occasionally, Malcolm stops by to deliver groceries, and they talk about it. And this is when he's like, I wouldn't have spoiled the surprise for you. And um, we also learn the real story of what happened to Brahms. 20 years ago, on Brahms' eighth birthday, there was a house fire. The parents were outside. Brahms was inside. And he died. And they couldn't deal with that. And this is how they coped. And more and more, it became part of their lives and it became real. So 20 years later, they're still treating this eight-year-old doll as their son. So Malcolm asks Greta out. Strictly professional. We have the same employer. You know, it's a I'm gonna, courtesy. It's a courtesy. I'm going to show you around town. But... She's getting ready and she's talking to her sister and it's there's this kind of cute exchange. It's like, oh, are you going to wear the pink dress or whatever it is? And you're going to wear such and such. Oh, and you, are you drinking a glass of red wine? I know you're getting ready for a date routine. It's really kind of cute. She hops in the shower and we see 
the dress get pulled away. We see the jewelry get pulled off the counter. She comes out and she's like, where's my shit? (laughs) And she goes looking around. Only to find nothing anywhere except the attic uh, ladder is down. Now, at my parents' house, we have the very same thing. That same exact thing. You, you know, you, you have a little stick and you pull it down and then the ladder itself folds out. Um, but it's spring-loaded, so it closes really easily. She goes up there and she's looking around and it's very creepy and it's very dark. Why? Why? Okay, at this point, with your clothes missing and everything, why wouldn't you assume it's a predator of some sort? Right, and that's why she grabs the stick that she uses for the for the thing. Call the fucking police. Yes. Do and not investigate a creepy room all by yourself. Right. But she goes up into the attic, and then all of a sudden, the door slams shut. And like I said, this happens. But she's stuck in there. And Mal- she's freaking out, and Malcolm shows up to take her out on this date, and she's calling out to him. But the structure of this house, you can tell where she's seeing out of is, like, kind of far back on the building itself, so she's a little bit ways away from him. I'm not sure even how she sees him go to the front door. Uh, but anyway, she's calling. He doesn't hear. She and- tries to pry that window open and ends up snapping that pole. And he just leaves. And again, some bullshit here. Where do you think she's gone? Yeah, where do you think she is? You think she's literally sitting inside the house just waiting for you to leave? Like, fuck it, I don't want to go on this date with you. She has to interact with you. You're going to bring the groceries. Why would she do that? Right, but also he's like this Hugh Grant, timid, charming thing. And he's like, oh, she must have changed her mind, I guess. Why would he be worried about her? I'd be worried about her. Maybe she fell. Well, he does come over first thing. But we'll get there. He leaves. She turns around and she's freaking out because she hears something. And then she runs into a man's body and she falls back and hits her head and gets knocked out. She doesn't run into it. She sees it. And then she falls or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she wakes up in the morning and it's well lit in the attic now. And she can see, oh, it's a mannequin that has a man's like tweed suit, like an old fashioned thing that's just been put up in the man- in the attic. Why this family would have it, who knows? And she laughs at herself, and then all of a sudden the thing opens, right? And she and so she goes down and she calls Malcolm, or Malcolm shows up normally. We just cut to them talking about it, <laughs> of course. And it's down, and all of a sudden the thing closes again while they're while they're down uh, looking up at it, and he's like, "Oh, well, I guess that explains that." There are a couple things that you've skipped, and I'm just going to hit on them really fast. Uh-huh. Uh, you skipped one of her dreams. She has a few dreams, which, again, fake scares. Yes, but the painting one did get me, because I wasn't expecting Oh, it. yeah. She looks at the painting, and you're expecting the eyes to move, and instead a hand reaches out and grabs her. Yeah. Yes. And also, she sees the doll at some point, and it's got its head turned towards her. Yeah. Um, also, water has been dripping down, and it makes it look like he's been crying. Oh, yeah. I guess I missed a few of those things, because, yes, Brahms does, like, kind of show up places. Yes. And she's like, that's really fucking weird. And then she sees it, and, and he's, like, crying. And she looks up, and, oh, no, it's just water leaking because it's a rainy day, and just happens to land on his face. She's like, oh. 
Okay, and explains that away, and so she doesn't ask more questions about how he was there in the first place. Same sort of thing. Oh, well, that explains you weren't trapped up in there. It was an accident. This thing is built that way, and they don't ask more questions about it. Also, this will happen several times throughout the movie as well. This movie did not trust its audience to be intelligent human beings. She literally comes out, right, in her towel. Also, that's got to be the best, like, form-fitting towel right. of all time. It she running around the house. She falls. It never once she comes undone. She wakes up again, and, and it's, it's still totally perfectly still, tied. Yeah, yeah so, uh-huh. and trust me, guys, that does not work that way. I mean, guys know. <laughs> so she comes out, and she's looking, and obviously her dress is missing. Yeah. Okay? We saw her put it out. Yeah. We heard her friend mention it yes. on the phone. Uh-huh. We saw it get slowly taken away. Uh-huh. She comes out, clearly that's what she's looking for, but instead of just saying, the audience are intelligent people and fig- will figure this out, she has to say, my clothes. My clothes. My clothes. Yeah, later on, too. Who does that? Like, to remind you that that's what she's looking for. And then, which is dumb, because now that we've been reminded, she's like, huh, clothes are gone. That's weird. And then, like, that's that's all that comes of it. So... Really dumb. That happens many times. She will say things out loud that nobody would ever actually say out loud. Yes. So they have a conversation and she asks about what Brahms is really like. And he's like, well, I've asked around town. You know, there, there's um, there's the polite conversation and then there's the pub talk. And the polite conversation is that he was a charming little boy or whatever. And then the pub talk is that he was a terror or whatever. And when she asked him, okay, what's the truth is that, uh, he got drunk with Mr. Heelshire once. And the mom was opening presents on Christmas or on his birthday, I think actually, uh, with Brahms, the doll and, and the dad was in the study or whatever. And so Malcolm joins him and he's already three sheets to the wind and they both get drunk and he gets up the courage to ask what Brahms was like when he was alive. And Mr. Heelshire says one word and that word is odd. That's how he was. He was very odd. And going back to, there's a reason he might be odd because Mrs. Hillshire is very particular, like we talked about, needs things a particular way. But that imprints on Brahms, and now even doll Brahms needs things a particular way. That's why there's the rules, is because that's the way he likes them, even if she doesn't like them that way. Mm-hmm. Like, there is, Brahms has a personality. So anyway, this is when weird shit starts to happen to Greta. If it hasn't started happening already, she starts to hear a child crying. She's on the phone and the phone calls are cut off. Uh, The doll moves. She gets a phone call and there's nobody there. And eventually she gets a phone call and there's a child on the other end of the line asking her to follow the rules. So she freaks out and closes herself in her room 
and we hear a voice not on the phone say, I promise I'll be good. Here, you know, I, I made your favorite. And she opens up the door, and there's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich there, mm-hmm. which we know she makes for herself. So obviously, something is very wrong here, and it cannot be ignored. This is when we cut to the Heelshires, and they're writing a letter, and this is a flashback. Only within like the past like day or since so. she got yeah, there. Since she got there, yeah. And then, so before, basically, it's what she was doing when she was talk when Greta was talking to the father, it's what the mother was doing, and then comes down to meet them, and then they leave. And what they, and then we get to see where they went when they left. They walk out to the beach, they put heavy stones in their pockets, and then they walk into the water. Again, we can't really talk about the reasoning behind this until we get a little bit further, but obviously, they can't continue doing what they've been doing. It's reached ahead, and they've decided that the only way to end this is to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. And we don't know exactly what the letter says until later. So Greta is like, holy shit, Brahm's spirit is actually in this doll. This is really fucking freaky, and if I want to make sure I'm protected, I'm going to follow these rules. And so she starts to follow the rules and she starts to like really get along with Brahms and starts to like have affection for him. And the next thing, next scene we get is her telling Malcolm, uh, Brahms is alive and here I'm going to prove it to you. And almost like the scene from Poltergeist where they put the girl on the floor and she slides I thought that's what was going to happen. But instead, she draws a chalk outline around Brahm sitting on the floor, and then they leave. And she's like, he's very shy. You can't watch him when this happens. And then pounds on the door and says, okay, Brahms. And they go back and nothing. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, come on. And... Malcolm agrees to one more one time. One more time, yes. And so then they, she says, okay, if, if it doesn't happen this time, I will leave. I will leave with you because obvious because Malcolm's really worried about her. If things are going on, you know, what have you. And so she whispers to Brahms, like, come on, can you do this for me, please? If you don't, I'll have to leave. Yeah, exactly. Please, Brahms, I need him to see, okay? I know this is hard for you, but do it for me. That's where I have to go. I can't stay here anymore. Greta, come on. Robs, please. Just give it one more chance, okay? If he doesn't move, nothing happens and I'm crazy. They leave again. She pounds on the wall again. And when they come back, he's just gone. Hmm? And Malcolm's like, holy shit. <laughs> Greta, there's something you need to know. And he tells her a story in the pub talk you know, the stories that go around about Brahms. And what we find out is, is that Brahms was friends with another girl about his age. And one day her body is found in the forest with his with her head smashed in. And everyone thought that Brahms might have done it. But before the police can question him, there's the house fire where Brahms dies. Mm-hmm. So Malcolm's like, even still, I don't think you should stay here. And she says, he wouldn't hurt me. 
I know that. But then later, after Malcolm's left, she puts Brahms to bed and she goes, you wouldn't hurt me, would you? Yeah. Now, before he leaves, Greta tells Malcolm's story about her ex-boyfriend, Cole. This is the thing that she was running from. Apparently, she was pregnant. And things were going well again with Cole after him being abusive. And it's very controlling relationship. You can hear from the details like she ends up going back to him not because, you know, it's a, it's a not only physically harmful, it's emotionally harmful, right? And one day he goes off on her and she ends up having a miscarriage, which is another trope of like, oh, now she has this maternal need in mm-hmm. her but she, that never got fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so she feels like she has to take care of Brahms. Mm-hmm. So – No sooner than we learn about Cole, but Cole shows up. And we know this because she's on the phone with her sister and her sister's like, Cole showed up at my house. I have to tell you, my son was talking to him and Cole was asking where you were. And my son, he was like 10 years old. He didn't know what to do. He gave him the address. So don't be surprised if he writes you because that's what he said he wanted to do. But he didn't write. He fucking showed up. Mm -hmm. And she thinks it's Malcolm and she's like, Malcolm? And then it's him, and he's like, who's Malcolm? So automatically, things are not good. (laughs) Right. She ends up convincing him to not do anything brash, but he ends up convincing her that he needs to stay there with her. Well, she says, I'll go with you. You have to stay down on the couch, though. Right. He's like, oh, so I'm not going to be in the same bed as you? And she's like, no. (laughs) You're going to stay down here. And Malcolm shows up the next morning, and he's actually there. He tells her that he's going to be nearby. Well, it's funny because he goes in and he's just like, you need to leave. And then Cole stands up and he's bigger and yeah, you know, taller uh-huh. and scarier. And then, Mal- and then Malcolm like totally chickens out and he's just like, well, I'll be nearby. Like, Because well, what is he going to do? Cole would knock the shit out of him. What is he supposed to do? Call the police? Yeah. You're right. No one ever does. No one ever does. So Greta's putting Brahms to sleep and she tells Brahms that she needs help. She's afraid of Cole and she needs help. And Cole wakes up and there's a message on the wall that says get out. From rat's blood. That Yeah, that's painted in rat's blood. She's like, you doing this? You trying to make me mad? You trying to get rid of me? Blah, 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 blah. And this is when Malcolm shows up again and, you know, there to protect her. Now he thinks, Malcolm, did you do this? Now, da, da, da. And he ends up taking the doll away from Greta, who's holding Because she Brahms said in her that hands. the doll did it. Yes. And so he's like, okay, then give me the fucking doll. And he smashes it. Yeah, he's swinging it around. What's so important about this goddamn doll or whatever? And yeah, he swings it down and he smashes its head on the ground. And then the room starts kind of shaking and the walls start pounding and things start knocking off the wall. The lights are flickering. The lights are flickering. And we hear this pounding moving around the room and he hears a voice, Cole does, coming from the mirror. And it says Greta's name. Well, also, Malcolm keeps saying, I think we need to leave. Yeah. <laughs> we should really go. Because <laughs> as, as, as far as Greta and Malcolm believe, there's a ghost in here. 
Yes. Who does not like to be fucked with. Yes. So this is terrifying right now. And so Cole walks up to this mirror where he's hearing this child's voice calling after all this shaking and stuff has happened. And all of a sudden, shatters and knocks him, knocks it him down. It doesn't make a lot of sense. How that happens? Yeah. Because there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Until a hand reaches out. Right. And then a body starts to come out. And then, like, a ceramic doll's mask on a human body, an adult human body, comes out from this mirror. Now, this is the point, this is the point when I was sitting in the movie theater. It totally had me. I thought it was going to be a ghost story. Yeah. When it came out, I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see I re- that coming. I remember exactly that. And mm-hmm. then I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> When you things think about it a little bit. don't make sense now. Why did things happen at exact times when he couldn't have possibly have known what was going to happen at that time? Unless he was a ghost. He's not omniscient. He's a human being. He only can see from certain perspectives. Right, but we also know that there are, like, listening devices. Yes, that's All true. around the house. That is true. But also when they're doing things that are silent. Like, for example, I didn't mention this earlier. Because I didn't want to give it away. At one point, she's looking at a photo album. And this is right around the time when he kind of lets her know that something is there. Yeah. She's looking at a photo album, and he opens the door. There's no fucking way from where she was and where he had to have been to open the door that he could have known that she was looking at the photo album. So we know... That either it was a total coincidence or we're watching a fucking movie. Yeah. That wanted to put that at that time. Right. There's a lot of fake scares. This movie isn't well thought out. And I think, like you say, is a result of many rewrites. So Brahms kills Cole and chases after Malcolm and Greta. And they find out that he's been getting around the house through the walls and that there are secret passages in every room. And they find their way into one where they where they find another attic room full like full of everything he would need to live. You know, the Tupperware case is full of food that they don't throw out. Uh she also finds what is effectively a life-size doll of Greta wearing the dress that and the necklace that he stole and a wig that looks like her hair. Mm-hmm. Where he got that wig who knows. <laughs> so, but then he comes after them, and Malcolm knocks him out. So they are about to leave, and Brahms beats them to the front door. How? He's traveling through these secret passages. Even though like he just got movie. knocked the fuck out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... He has to somehow get from upstairs to downstairs without them seeing, and he has to do it faster than they can through secret passageways, I'm sure. Here's the problem. (laughs) The biggest problem, right, is he never goes outside. He spends all of his time in that room. He doesn't get natural sunlight. None of that. People are like plants in that way. If you don't get sunlight, you get jaundiced. You get weak. You get, like, if you don't get the right nutrients, which he gets some meals, yeah, and they try to explain it away. It's like, oh, it's all anything anybody would ever need. But if you don't get out, you're not getting exercise, you're not getting sunlight, he's going to be weak. 
He's gonna his 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 muscles and bones are gonna be weak. He's probably gonna be hunched over. Like there are real stories of people really living in people's real attics without them knowing. And when they're found, they are messes of human beings. They're just messes. And so this is just like a tall, strong man who's so just mentally that he damaged. Can take out Cole, who yes. we know is a strong guy. Yes. Yeah, it's. It doesn't make sense. So he's he catches Malcolm and he's beating Malcolm up. And he's like, you have to stay or I'm going to kill him. But she leaves anyway. And then she turns around. You had a problem with this. Oh, again, because she has to say Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Malcolm. Yes, we know why you're turning around. We get it. Yeah. God. <sighs> so she finds herself a screwdriver and she shows up and she's like, yes, I've agreed to stay. And as he approaches her, she's like, no, it is bedtime. You are going to bed. It's time for bed now. Brahms, I said it's time for bed. Let's go. You know the rules. And she invokes these rules that are so important to Brahms. It was well done. Yes. Very cool. Good good thinking. Yes. And then she puts him to bed and tucks him in, and he asks for a goodnight kiss, and she's like, no, that's your punishment. You don't get one. And then he kind of like, I forget what he says, but he he's He grabs like, her arm. Yeah, he grabs he her arm and she tries kiss. to walk away. Yes. And he's all in this like little kid's voice or whatever. Which again, how- how do you sound like a child? You understand that half of children's voices on cartoons are portrayed by adults, right? Like people he can just make kids' to voices. Have that gift. And if it, if and if you're not normally talking to people all the time, you probably retain a lot of the stuff the the same ways you you talked as a kid. But as the facade breaks more and more, he starts talking more and more like a man and growling and stuff like that, which is really weird. But. She goes to kiss him on his porcelain mask and then ends up stabbing him with the screwdriver. He attacks her and she pushes it deeper into him and he falls down. She goes to find Malcolm, who is still alive, drags him to her car. And as they're driving away, he wakes up and then fade to black. And then we see the doll sitting up. And the face is being put back together mm-hmm. by an unknown figure who is obviously Brahms. <laughs> Let's play what now? <laughs> Greta, what now? The parents never come back because they are dead. Where are you going? Who are you going to tell? What's going to happen? You just left a dead body in that house and the house is destroyed. Are you expecting to get a call from the parents later? Are you going to go to the police? And how are you going to explain it to them? <laughs> Brahms, what the fuck are you going to do? You counted on somebody being there. Mm-hmm. To the point where when they decided they were going to die, they couldn't leave you alone. So they hired this babysitter who now, quote, belongs to you. <laughs> which is what she wrote in the letter. Yes. What now? <sighs> These are questions that the movie needs to answer for us, or at least need to be more intriguing if they're going to leave them hanging. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So that's the movie, Kelsey, Lightning Round. 
I thought it was interesting, and this is why I think she whispers to Greta and says, I'm so sorry. She obviously knows about the kid in the walls, right? The mom? Yes. Yes. Yes, they are aware. Obviously. <laughs> but they're, this is something we haven't talked about. They're actively fooling him. This pretense of going on a holiday is not just for her, it's for him so they can get out and then he gets the letter that says, we're gone, she belongs to you now. But they needed that pretense to get out of the house. Mm -hmm. So they are terrified while they're there. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. I'm fairly certain they know that their son killed that little girl. Yes. And that's why they faked his death. Mm -hmm. And then they said, you can't come out anymore, you live in the walls now. And then the porcelain doll comes around somehow. <laughs> she gets offended after she is convinced that Brahms exists. And Malcolm kind of disrespects him. She kind of snaps at him a little bit. And I forget what she says or what happens. But she gets offended when Malcolm disrespects Brahms. Which I thought was pretty uh, interesting. <laughs> You're not worried about Brahms, are you? <laughs> he doesn't mind, do you? Hey, you old sod. Of course not. I've been hoping she'll get out. I need a little privacy. I think I watch telly, have a nice bath, a little bronze time. <laughs> hey, yeah, good on you. High five. Maybe another time. She also tries to scare the doll. Yeah. To see if it's alive. It ah. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! <laughs> there are also several things that happen throughout that um, before... She thinks that Brahms is real. Like, she keeps getting phone calls of breathing. Yeah. And, like, the creepiness in the house, she attributes it all to her crazy ex-boyfriend. So they gave a good thing for her to be like, oh, it's just him. Right? Yeah. So that was good. I thought Malcolm was cute. There were several times where he had really cute lines. Um, like, at one point, she was like, I need to ask you something. And he goes, yes, I am single. Yeah. And, you know, like, cute little things like that. I'm really surprised. I feel like there was a gun that was shown in the first act, and it's still there in the third. And then in the fifth, it never goes off. What? The house was not set on fire at the end. They thought it would be creepier, I assume, to have him put together the doll again. But why? Who's going to take care of it? What's the point of putting the doll back together again? But they set up the fact that Brahms died in a house fire early on. Halfway through the movie, we find out that it might have been a setup to cover up for the fact that he killed the girl. So we are reminded and told more information about it. And then three never happens. Him True. actually being killed by the burning house. True. Like, you can, you can argue that it's a cliche that they didn't do, and that's a good thing, but they still did it. It just didn't pay off. They did the one and the two, and they just didn't do the three. I'm telling you, man, rewrites and editing. Yeah. It's bad. Mm -hmm. Right. The dreams. So there are a couple of them. Yeah. Totally fraught with jump scares that are pointless. But the main issue that I have with them is that it really sets up the fact now, looking in hindsight, so like I said, the first time I totally thought it was going to be a ghost. The second time, knowing that it's not a ghost, I'm like, damn, the dreams kind of give away that it's not a ghost. Because that's when all the jump scares happen. Yeah. Only while she's sleeping. Yeah. Not. Well, and not not the fake jump scares where she's creeping around the house and somebody comes up behind her and scares her. In hindsight, if I was writing a story like this, I probably wouldn't include those so much. Yeah. Because it makes the audience think that. 
the only time anything scary happens is when she's asleep. Well, I mean, but ultimately, the only time with this premise and with this story, the only time scary things can actually happen is really at the end when the truth is revealed. Because Brahms is nice. Right? He's creepy, but he's nice. There's nobody actively pursuing her in this movie until the end. True. We don't get the full context, which is where the real fear in this story is, until the reveal at the end. So they have to fill the rest of the movie with something, so instead we get fake dream scares. Which is fucking bullshit. I also think that that scene with the walls shaking reads so much differently if you already know the reveal. Oh, yeah. Once you know that it's a human, you know that it's just a guy he's banging in, on the walls as he walks walls around. As he's the, walking around it, right? I thought that was interesting. Because the first time it happens, oh, the doll shatters and then everything's shaking. You're thinking possession, ghost, that sort of thing. And then it's revealed to be a human. Knowing it's a human and going back, it, it reads so much differently. And I thought it was actually kind of cool. I did too. And it, But it's not long before the reveal, though. You don't have to wait very long because it's just that same scene where it's revealed. When his voice devolves from a child into an adult, that was a pretty creepy effect. Yeah. I liked that. Again, with the editing, when Cole smashes the head of the doll, Mm -hmm. we get this really close-up shot on an eye falling and hitting the ground. Yeah. Why? Eyes are creepy. I guess... I mean, like, I guess it kind of brought me down towards the idea that it's a ghost and, like, now he's looking out through this shattered eye. Uh-huh. But, no. Just, yeah. again, editing. Why, why, why did you include some of these things? Very strange. When we get a look inside of Brahm's room, in the attic or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. There's so much symbolism with all of the things that are in there that are so artistically placed, including a bunch of bird cages above the door because he's caged. Yeah. It was bad. Uh-huh. It was really, really bad. I was like, dude, I should not be able to tell that you had a decorator come in here. Right. I shouldn't be able to see your choices. Yeah. Just in a casual viewing. Yeah. I shouldn't be able to feel the hand of the set designer. Uh, yet I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like at one point it was like he had super strength, which really fucking bothered me. Right. Makes no sense. It's the Jason thing, right? <laughs> like, oh, a kid drowns, but like he he didn't actually die, and now he has super strength for some reason and he can't die. And it's like, well, why? Until we get the explanation later that he's possessed by a worm from hell. Is Brahms possessed by a worm from hell? (laughs) And then in the shot where she ends up killing Brahms with the knife, it's set up in such a way that I don't think she would have actually been able to reach down and get it because he's taller than her and he's holding her up because he's like strangling her. No, the screwdriver is in his stomach still. Yeah, but she would have to... I feel like the way they shot it, it just looked like he, she wouldn't have actually yeah. been able to reach it from where she was. Yeah, they made it seem like she was really high up. Yes. And that just means she's further away from that screwdriver. Yes. You know, maybe if she, like, kneaded into him or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> and the, I've got two last things that I wrote, but the second to last is my favorite. Okay. Why is Malcolm alive? Why is this happening? Right. How did he survive? Because she came back before he could kill him. But why would he not exactly. kill him immediately? I don't know. 
I don't know. What was your last thing? It was just head being glued back together is stupid. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 60. That's higher than even Metacritic. It's at 42. Okay. Rotten Tomatoes was 28%. I was wondering, I was like, it might be really, really low. But then again, you never know with crazy people. I mean, especially with, with Rotten Tomatoes, where it's just judging the percentage of people that reviewed it, that walked away with positive feelings about it, with an, a general positive feeling. That It doesn't surprise me at all. I was shooting right. way high there. I mean, 72% of people were like, eh, it's more bad than good. You know, like if you had to choose one or the other, I'm not surprised that that many people said bad. What would you give it? Maybe 45? Yeah, I couldn't go above 50. I'd probably say 45 as well. It's It does it, some cool not, stuff. It's not a miserable movie, you know? It's not like no. a piece of shit. It's entertaining. It has entertainment value. It's just not well put together. No. It's the result of too many rewrites and shufflings that they didn't stop and start over from scratch, which is what they should have done. And the set design, the it's a beautiful movie, but too many obvious choices. Mm -hmm. The editing... It knew it wanted to do some stuff, but it didn't know how to do it, I feel. An over-reliance on fake scares, like mm -hmm. false jump scares and dream scares. Mm -hmm. It's just, overall, I can't recommend it. Yeah. But it does some cool stuff, too. I think the concept of, you know, it's just a doll. Oh, wait, the doll's haunted. Oh, wait, no, it's just a man living in the walls. I thought that, that in as a concept, that's really cool. I just don't think they executed it very well. I just, and and actually, I probably would have agreed with you there. And if I had just felt that way, I probably would have given it a higher score. But once I started to pick up on all of the similarities to House, House of, of the, the Devil, Devil, I was yeah. just like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I totally get it. Like, oh, he's not like a date a demon he's just a human but that doesn't matter i mean think about Still it the same concepts think about it oh i'm picking up a job for a babysitter that they're having a hard time filling i show up and it's not your usual babysitting job in one case it's a porcelain doll of a boy in the other case it's an invalid grandmother you know i get there and i can't communicate in any way except for the house telephone um, I need this money for yes, some reason. Yes, I need, I, I need this money, and so that's why I'm convinced to do something that I would otherwise probably back out of doing. And it just keeps going on and on like that. It's not just the setup. It's about halfway through the movie. Mm -hmm. when, when she finds out that Brahms is real, it starts to, to differentiate itself. But then still, there's this murderous twist at the end. Yeah, just... If you if you thought this movie could have been better and you would have liked it to have been better, just watch House of the Devil. Mm-hmm. It is better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And that is 2016's The Boy. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? It's fair season. Hooray. We get to go to the fair. Kelsey fucking loves the fair. I do. I do love the fair okay. so much. I look forward to it every year. I don't care that it's the same thing every year. Um, 
And so, because it is fair season, we are going to watch Carnival of Souls, which has been on my list for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And a new movie called Closed for the Season. Okay. What is that one? It's another fair horror movie. From? From 2010. Closed for the Season. <sighs> Can we just watch a Scooby-Doo episode instead? <laughs> no, Carnival of Souls is good. I remember liking it when I watched it in probably my freshman year of college, I think is when I actually watched that movie for the first time. And I don't think I've watched it since, actually. So I'll get a nice refresher. So that is 1962's Carnival of Souls and 2010's Closed for the Season. That's next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com where you can browse all of our episodes and a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. You can leave a comment there under the episode to share your thoughts on the movies we watched, or you can recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can also do that via email at podcemetery at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. We'll add comments about the movies we've seen. We'll live stream some random horror movies that we don't cover on an episode. We'll link to articles that we like, that sort of thing. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice. That is very, very helpful, so we would really appreciate it if you could do that. But most importantly, we appreciate you just coming back and listening every week. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, any parting words of wisdom to share with the audience? I'm not a cynic. I like to think of myself as a nasty bitch. To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape Molding some fangs to the picking up bones Spirits moaning Yeah, music. music Music It's Makes something something Come together Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Big, big booty <laughs> Got a big booty Ignition is it the remix to Ignition? I guess. Because otherwise, what's the point? I guess. Hot and fresh out the kitchen. Come what may. I will love you until my dying day. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that that was in 1939. What? The intro to Puppet Master takes place in 1939. I didn't realize that. I don't know why I didn't realize that. They were all dressed up in 30s clothing. Didn't realize it. Wow. This week, 1989's Puppet Master and 2000-something or others. I don't know what year it came out. The movie is available. I did not look up where it's available because it's pretty much available nowhere. 
it's Leech Woman, and she barches up. Barches? Why? I want to know why they're not animating like Beauty and the Beast style, a candelabra and a clock and a and a and a chest of drawers and. <laughs> Like, why aren't they animating more inanimate objects? I would probably animate my dishes so they could clean themselves and my would vacuum. Would they, though? <laughs> so it would vacuum without me. Maybe the vacuum makes sense. And my broom so it would sweep without me. You have to think about their unique <laughs> their unique purpose. You have to think about their unique purpose, right? Like, the vacuum's unique purpose is to suck up dirt off a floor. And that kind of stuff. So a broom's unique purpose is to sweep. So those sorts of things you'd want to do. A plate's unique purpose is to hold food, not to clean itself. I don't think you could convince a plate to clean itself. <laughs> Although you're you, they do what you say, right? Like yeah. I think the other problem is though is that you can animate inanimate objects, but they only have what motion is allowed to them, which is why you do puppets. Yep. Because they have a range of motion and they can move around like people mm -hmm. versus a plate, which would just kind of have to sit there. <laughs> oh, there you go. Thinking about its existence. You just answered your own question. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what, what show? Is that it was, Rick it was, and Morty? It was Rick and Morty when he created the thing that just delivers the butter dish. <laughs> That's your only purpose? purpose. What is my purpose? You bring me the butter. Oh my god. <laughs> so good. A girl is hired to babysot babysot? Babysit. Boop, 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 boop. Day bidet. The blessing. 